My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. Okay, before we get into today's episode, I want to get some feedback from you, the listener. We're looking at ways that we can take the podcast in new directions, new guests that we want to have on the show, new ideas we want to share with you. So we have a lot of threads going for this at Expat Money Forum, our private Facebook group. If you go to expatmoneyforum.com, you can join the conversation. I want to hear feedback from you guys. What topics have we not covered that you want to hear more of? Do you want to hear more stories from successful expats who have moved offshore? Do you want to hear more business-related stuff, more finance-related stuff? Are you more interested in immigration and visas and passports? Is it the investments or real estate? I want to know what you are interested in. This show is not about me. It is about you guys. It is about all of my amazing listeners and trying to help inspire you and get you the best up-to-date knowledge every single Wednesday when I publish this show. So join the conversation at Expat Money Forum. Let me know what you think, what you want to hear more about, how I can best serve you. It's really important to me to make this show the absolute best in our space. And I think we're off to a really good start. Podcast has been going for over four years now, which is just hard to believe. It seems like just yesterday I started it, and the feedback has been amazing. But there's always room to improve. There's always things we can do better. So share your knowledge, share your expertise, share what you want to hear, share your wants, your desires, your needs, your goals, everything with us at Expat Money Forum. I really appreciate it, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is a business development advisor, licensed attorney, and founder of Aqua Assist in Ecuador. His legal practice focuses on real estate, corporate, labor, administrative, and immigration counseling. Equa Assist is a bilingual consulting company focused on the needs of expats in Ecuador, whether they have just arrived or already well-established, with operations in five cities in Ecuador. I've had the pleasure of working with my guest over the past year or two, and his knowledge and experience is quite impressive. Please welcome to the show, Marcos Chiluisa. Marcos, how are you? Thank you. Thank you, Mikhail. Thank you for that introduction. I'm very happy to be here with you and sharing some of my local knowledge with your audience. So please, I'm I'm very happy to share. the insights and the good things and sometimes not. Well, we're very happy to have you here. 
So Marcos, so how did you become an expat? How did you become a lawyer and then decide that you wanted to combine the two? And why Ecuador? I know that's kind of like a lot of things thrown in once, but I, I do, I want to know your backstory, how you got into this. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, it is actually for me, uh, it goes like more personal. Uh, my family and, and I, we were living in Venezuela. I'm originally from Venezuela. Um, uh, well, I don't want to get into the politics, but uh, when everything started uh, happening in Venezuela right now, we just decided, okay, we should go and see another places. So Ecuador was the, the perfect match for us because um, another opportunity for us was like Panama because they have the dollar, but Ecuador was getting into the dollar at that time. It was a developing country, it was a small country. So it was good. The weather it was great. Um, people, absolutely, that was the main reason because people here in Ecuador is just like the one of the biggest assets. Uh, people is very friendly. So that that was how we came here. And then while we were in that stage of in our lives of getting to know the the new country and and even that we speak the same language, uh, for us it was so challenging because we didn't know. And uh, I always think about uh, one of the, the international events that I attended before uh, when someone says like, you don't know what you don't know. So you don't know and it is hard to, to, to see how you will be reacting. So then having, not having that knowledge made me or forced me to understand how things work because Ecuador is, a, I mean, as I say, a developing country and they have so many rules and you go one day and ask for a question and then you go for the next day because the day before you didn't have one document and when you go to the next day, they ask you, okay, you forgot these two. And, and, and you know, it's, it's part of the process. So uh, that's how I became a lawyer. I'm working for expats, basically. I started like uh, living in Quito where it's a very cosmopolitan city. Uh, a lot of a lot of friends. They started. We start having the same conversations about how Ecuador should improve their systems, their services. So, just I have the opportunity working for some U.S. citizens. Uh, we deliver, and then the it was like a snowball kept growing and growing and then I opened one of my offices and then I had the need to open another offices and the third and the fourth and the fifth. So right now. I have enough right in my plate, but uh, I'm very happy to be here in Ecuador, being honest. So you came over with your family originally because you didn't like what was happening in your country. And then when you actually saw how difficult all the processes were with all of this government work with the visas and things like that, you felt, you felt like that's what you wanted to specialize in, in your law practice. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, first, I, as I said, uh, with my family, I just, I mean, when you go to a different country and you, we spoke the same language, but we could feel that people were taking advantage. I mean, I, I said that people is friendly in Ecuador, but uh, there's some, some good people and, and not that good people in all the places. And the, the, the people who were working in different offices you noticed that, that it was not the right thing. And I didn't want that to keep happening because 
my parents, they came uh, here to start a business. And, and of course, I mean, I wanted, I wanted to have, I wanted to, us to be protected uh, in every way possible. So yes, that, that's, that's the why I, I decided to be a lawyer. Okay. And then if I remember from our previous conversations, you actually went on and you're, you did your doctorate of law. You're actually a doctor. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a, uh, something that is, it was right now, some of the, the, the laws in Ecuador have changed on that uh, because um, there is a misconception on, on being a doctor here in Ecuador because uh, during the time when I was uh, going to law school, they wanted us to present more paperwork and, and it was like, a complete mess and I'm just mentioning this right now because it is how complicated sometimes things in Ecuador are in Ecuador so yeah I'm, I'm very happy uh, to to be a doctor in law but uh, Ecuador uh, it is always a challenge mm-hmm. well no because I, I bring it up I suppose more than anything because I want my listeners and and my viewers and everything like that to understand um, you know how your story applies and why you really are the expert like i mean like i know you're being very very humble but i mean in conversations of me and you having drinks over at the bar or webinars or podcasts or conferences or anything over the last couple of years i mean like your knowledge on this stuff is really intense and it, um you you have so much experience in these types of things and you're an expat yourself so i mean for me like you're my go-to person. When I have clients who are like, yeah, I'm thinking about Ecuador or I want to do something with Ecuador, I'm like, okay, I'll introduce you to someone. They'll take care of you. You know, Marcos will be there to listen to you. So, okay, so let's jump into Ecuador itself. Tell me, tell me about Ecuador. What's it like? You know, I've, I've traveled a long time. I've never been there. I mean, yet, as, as the recording of this episode, I've not had a chance to go. So, so tell me, I, I want to know. Okay, well, uh, first, I'm making you the invitation to come here because we have to do stuff here and, and I and you know you will enjoy it. So, okay, well, Ecuador is a very diverse country. Ecuador, it has a second, the, the, the official language in Ecuador is Spanish, uh, where we have uh, 90% mestizo, like, uh, and, and we have 10% indigenous people. But uh, Ecuador is a, I started saying diverse country is because in Ecuador we respect a lot about the ancestral cultures and that's that's unique that's that's beautiful because the connection between uh, the western world and the ancestral knowledge it is always present uh, so that keeps a good balance and on the other hand, uh, another thing that is important for me here in Ecuador is that Ecuador is a society that is a family structure. Uh, that means that uh, family are always looking after the family. So you can, you always, wherever you go, you always can see that. Uh, and of course, the weather, and the, um, the food, the food. I mean, we have fresh food all the time. Ecuador, uh, during the pandemic, we... We, we were analyzing this with some other uh, friends uh, working in the government, like, okay, well, if, I mean, the, the world goes down, 
at least in Ecuador, we can produce our own food. So it was on those uncertain times where we didn't know what's going to happen, but at least we had secure our own food for, for everyone in Ecuador. So if I have to say, if I have to define Ecuador, I just might say it is a welcoming country. And it has friendly people and very, very nice weather. Well, and I mean, that is one of the points on why I left the Middle East. I was there for eight years, and I loved my life there. But when I looked at what was happening and where kind of humanity was heading, I knew we were going to be having a big economic crash. And I was like, I'm out in the desert. If something happens, they're not going to have enough food to feed anyone. Like, they can't produce anything. If shipping lines, if the ports go down, I mean, they're not going to be able to produce anything. And I think Ecuador is quite similar to Panama, and we produce so much of our own food, fruits and vegetables, um, meats, fish. I mean, there's so many things that um, a lot of these Central and South American countries are able to be a little bit more uh, self-sufficient than other places in the world. So it's, it is, there's something to be said for that, for sure. Yeah, it is true. It is true that, and you know, Ecuador has been, has seen uh, a development that it was never seen before. When we arrived here almost 21 years ago on January of 2021, I will have 21 years living here. But you know, my first 10 years, I might say that Ecuador, it has a lack of services, but the last, since 2010, maybe, eh, Ecuador has seen a, a, an exponential growth in, in, in the economy, maybe because of the dollarization, which is a strong, eh, I mean, keeps, keeps eh, the economy in order because we can now print out our own bills, our own uh, currency. Um, Ecuador is maybe has a, a strong, well, I might say like a, a supported economy uh, because we have dollars. But uh, in terms of services, I mean, uh, right now I'm in Manta. Manta, it's a beautiful city. It is right on, on the coast. We have, we have access to the beach all the time. We have a, a good a mini mini a climate nearby. Like a, 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 it is more humidity. A, it is not that hot. It is not that cold. A, so we have all that here. But at the same time, we have more services and internet has seen, uh, I mean, uh, as I said, like more infrastructure. So Ecuador has been investing uh, a lot into that. Of course, there's always something that we can improve, but at the same time, I see Ecuador that going in the right direction. Right now, looking at other countries, Ecuador is going at his own path, uh, at his own pace, but uh, in the right path. And so, so, sorry, so a side note, what year was the dollarization? When, when did they pick up the, the dollar? Uh, January 9th of 2000. January 9th of 2000. Okay, interesting. So about 20 some odd, 20 years, 20, 21 years um, of dollar in the, in the yeah, Ecuador. I remember that date because it's when I arrived here. It wow, was it like, was literally the same day. 
It was the same day. And uh, it was so funny because we have the sucre, the old currency, and we had the dollars. So during that time, you have to be careful because uh, the exchange rate was 25,000 sucres to $1. So if you were going to pay with sucres, you have this huge pile of money. And instead, if you go and pay with dollars, just $10, uh, instead of having $250,000 uh, sucres. So it, it was a challenge. It was, it was good. It was good. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that Ecuador was the, the right country for us. I, I cannot see myself living in, in another country than, than Ecuador. Well, I mean, that's so interesting. That would have been such like a monumental thing to see and the change and how it affected everything and to be there right from the first day. I think that's pretty exciting. That's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. So next, I want to talk, I guess, about the standard of living. So I know that Ecuador is a developing nation, but I mean, what does that mean in real terms? Because from my perspective, I look around at Panama and I'm like, yeah, Panama is a developing country but you go to certain parts of Panama City, and I mean, it's more advanced than lots of places in the United States. You go out for restaurant meals at some places, and I mean, it's just as nice as places, Michelin star restaurants in Europe. I mean, so although, although it is a developing country technically as an entire nation, I find that Panama has big pockets which are not that way. I'm curious, how Ecuador kind of fits in on the scheme of things. Yeah, well, Ecuador and that, I mean, you can, you can see poverty in, in some places. But poverty here means that, sometimes means that uh, when, you, when you don't have money to, to go and buy food, it is like your family always are there to help you. And, and the, the family, as I said at the beginning, it is like the base of the society of Ecuador. But you can see poverty, but also you can see the other, well, not the other side, but at the same side of Ecuador, but in other situation, uh, where there are places where people, they have the, the resources to, go to, to New York for a weekend and to go for shopping or, or something like that. And we have a, so we have like an ongoing growing economy that translates into that people who have seen other parts of the world, they want to replicate and bring those ideas to Ecuador. Because for example, Guayaquil, Guayaquil, uh, 10 years ago, it was a horrible place. I went to Guayaquil before the pandemic and it's just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful city because they have that sense of art. Like if you go on a sidewalk and you see they have this, these very nice little pieces like everywhere, like they have a, uh, the, the middle, how they, they have the, the uh, lighting on, on the streets. It's just like, if you see carefully that, it's just like, it is not just a, 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 a poll. It's, it's just something that they invest some time thinking about making things beautiful. So those are the type of things that uh, moves you to see, okay, Ecuador, 
it has those things. I know you mentioned something about the, having a Michelin chef and, and, and start, a, I mean, recognize, worldwide recognize um, restaurants. Quito has that for sure. Guayaquil has that. And there are probably three other cities in Ecuador where you can get that. But if you go to the, to the country in Ecuador, I mean, you can you can have a, a, a dish that is like chicken, and, and you have a corn with cheese. It's very very basic, but at the same time, it's that experience that when I got here, I fell in love with that. It's just so simple, but at the same time, it has you can see that it has tradition. It's just like Ecuador. It has so it's so rich in traditions that. Um, compare and combine with, with the new, uh, I mean, uh, culture from, from other parts of the world, it is the perfect, perfect mix. Uh, mix. So um, I have been in Panama, but uh, I just went there for maybe a few days, but uh, I cannot call myself expert. I just saw what the tourist part uh, in Panama City but uh, beyond that, it's just like I have to declare myself that I don't have any knowledge about, about it. So mm-hmm. I, I, but that's really interesting, kind of the, the tradition and the modern kind of mixing in Ecuador. I think that's an interesting concept. And so many countries and cultures, I mean, that doesn't happen. The modern comes in and it just sweeps everything else away. So it's good that, to hear that Ecuador keeps with a lot of traditions, that they respect the indigenous people, that there's still a lot of that influence into the community. I think that's really amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, and that's, that's beautiful to see. That's, uh, I have to be honest, it's beautiful to, to go mm-hmm. and see that. Well, and then back to your earlier point about family being the community, that's actually something that I've noticed throughout Latin America, where really there are core values and the family is at the center of that. And like you said, like there's not homeless people all over the streets. Like, I mean, my goodness, go to California, go to Los Angeles, go to something like that. And I mean, I was in um, San Francisco a couple of years ago. And I was shocked taking, uh, taking the bus or the Uber or whatever from the airport to where my hotel was. I must have been able to count like hundreds, hundreds of homeless people on the streets. And I mean, it was so sad to see. But traveling around Latin America, which I've done quite extensively, I think that the family is always there. If someone's down on their luck, if things are not working for them, you know, family kind of is the first line of defense and really steps in and helps one another. So I think that's, that's good to see as well. Okay, we're going to take like a quick 10-second break. So what I want everyone to do right now is if you are a fan of this show, I want you to share it with one friend. That's it. That's all I need you to do. I need you to pause the episode right now. Go out there. Go on Facebook. Go on Twitter. Go on your email. And I want you to share this episode or maybe your favorite episode with a really good friend of yours. Because it's no secret that the world, we're going through some pretty tough times right now. And what I want to do is try to be a voice of solution, a voice of reason that is out there to be able to help people. And I honestly believe that moving overseas and having a bit of adventure and having a bit of passion back in your life 
and moving to a safe, peaceful country is a real opportunity for people. So please, 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 if you guys can just do one thing for me today, I want you to share this episode or your favorite episode with a friend right now. I really appreciate it. We actually grow the more the episodes are shared. We need to get these things out here because what I think is that we're all building a really strong community together. So hopefully you will take this, you'll share it with your friends and get a lot of value from it. Thank you so much. Okay, let's jump back into the interview. Yeah, it is good. It is good to see that. Um, and also at the same time, uh, I'm, I'm very happy to say that, uh, especially when they see people from, from, from North America, uh, Ecuador has a good relationship, a long story relationship with, with the U.S., the, the U.S. in Ecuador always has been sending like Peace Corps volunteers, like any any other type of missions where they just brought like surgeons and a medical brigades in, in all over Ecuador. So whenever they see a, a, an expat here, they relate that memory with an expat. And 99% of the time, an expat from the US, from Canada, from Europe, which is your, your most of your audience, uh, they are very welcome because people relate that North Americans, they're coming here to help. It is not, it is not like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but it's not like it happens in, in different countries where they see people from other nationalities and they, they're just like, oh, Wow, I'm afraid of that. But when when an expat is coming here in Ecuador, it is always welcome. And a glass of water, a cup of coffee, or whatever you need, and they try to to communicate. And and it is beautiful to see like an Ecuadorian not having any knowledge of word in English, but it's just trying to communicate. And they make signs and. Food, like or water, or or anything. So that's that's something that uh, I mean. As I said, like the family is the, the center. But uh, in terms of uh, speaking for to your audience, uh, they relate that uh, North Americans always came with the idea to help the Ecuadorians in need. See, that's incredible because I mean. Just look at the, so, okay, so throughout Latin America, you'll hear gringo, 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 gringo. But look at the origins of the word, and it was green go, green go, they would try to translate it. And it was because there was military here from North America into Central and South America. And it was like, green go, like, get the hell out of my country, get out of here. Um, so, I mean, in a lot of countries, there is a negative connotation with uh, North Americans moving down there, and that's good to hear that Ecuador is not like that, that actually they're, they are very welcoming to expats and to people in the country. Because, I mean, who wants to go to a country where you're not welcome? Like, God, I can't think of anything worse. Um, I've traveled extensively. I want to be welcome in the country. If people don't want me there, I mean, that's a big turnoff for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah. it is just because a few people thought in the past that investing in social aid 
uh, it will it will improve the international relations uh, within the countries. And, and I can say, I mean, we still have Peace Corps volunteers in Ecuador and wherever you go, you see, well, no, whatever, but uh, on, on, this, on the places where Peace Corps volunteers are present, uh, they are, I mean, appreciated um, and people always have that, for them that they will carry that in the future and when they grow up and if they were kids they grow up and they they are adults and they see a, a, an expat they always are like okay i have these nice memories so i'm going to help you that's cool i like that a lot so what about the we've we've talked about the standard of living now what about the cost of living what's it like if 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 we were to take i don't know let's make an example like say a family of 4 from north america and they wanted to move down to ecuador maybe what would what would the cost to be live cost of living be like and maybe we can break down a couple of examples like rent or food or activities or those types of things okay yeah yeah of course this this answer um it depends on the your standard of of living because i mean i i consider that uh, on what i've seen from my from my clients uh, that they come with a with a pension uh, they come with a check every month they are happy living in ecuador with a pension of $1,500 to $2,000. If we say that they are spending between $400 to $600 in, in, a, in an apartment for rent, and they do their groceries for probably $200 or $300 a month, and they are paying internet for $20 to $35, uh, cell phone plan maybe $20, and yeah, I mean, I don't think they, at the end of the month, they will be spending more than $1,000. If we're speaking of a family of four, I might say that, yeah, you need a bigger space. You, of course, will need probably $300 a month in groceries, probably 300 to 500 But I might say that if you're a family of four, you might need between 1800 to $2,000. Very affordable. <laughs> Very yeah, it affordable. Is, it is affordable, and and at the same time, um, we think I personally think Ecuador should be less expensive because uh, we produce the food, and it should be lower. I, I'm just talking about going to the supermarket where everything is shiny, everything is clean. But if you go to the market, if you go where the Ecuadorians, they buy their, their food, I mean, that, that $300, you, you might end spending probably $100.50 because you are not paying that extra service uh, in the supermarket. But of course, in the, the language barrier. But as I said, the, I mean, people here, they're always trying to help you. But it is it is a journey, and once you have that, when once you overpass that learning cure experience, I mean, you 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 can do it. Amazing. 
Yeah, that sounds very uh, affordable for sure. Um, any insights on schooling? Do they have international schools there? If you have children, are they able to go to local schools? What's that like? Um, maybe do you know anything about homeschooling? I know a ton of my audience is into homeschooling. Is it legal in Ecuador? What can you tell us? Yeah, um, well, through the pandemic, we have uh, a lot of homeschooling, but at the same time, in, if you're going to Quito, if you're going to Guayaquil, if you're going to Cuenca, and also sometimes in some schools in Manta, just few in Manta where, where I live, um, you can find a bilingual education. Um, just to say, in Quito, I have very, very good friends where they have their kids in the, in the American school, like Colegio Americano. Those kids are brilliant. And just like, they, they are so smart, so good education. I have the opportunity to speak to them. One of them is 12 years old and God, he knows stuff. Like, it is very, very impressive. It's just a kid, 12 years old, and, and just has, has this, this knowledge about stuff. And just like, wow, that's, that's, that's education. I mean, of course, it's family, but I, I mean, there are a few things that you learn in school. And about homeschooling, yeah, it is legal as long as you have that register. You, have, you need to have that duly register because you need to get the, the, the registration at the end of the year uh, for, for the Ministry of Education here in Ecuador, but you can keep progress on your, on your kids' education. Um, there, there are some, some, uh, some teachers here, bilingual, uh, that they can help you with that. Uh, we have some of our clients, but most of them, um, they decide to go with the schools. But few of them, they go with homeschooling, where, for example, we have a client, a very, very good friend, uh, living in Montañita. This is uh, 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 like the um, Santa Monica of Ecuador. So <laughs> uh, it is not a good place where you just can send your kids to school because everyone is not paying attention on having a good education for your kids, but uh, you need to have a person that is going to teach your kids uh, basic stuff. But, uh, and then they have to go to other places, to big, bigger cities. But uh, people, they, they, they figure out on how to uh, educate their, their children here and Okay. And we'll get into residency in a second, but say that you are a resident as an expat. Are you allowed, able to send your children to the local school? And is that provided? Or are you only allowed to send kids to international schools like private schools? That's a very good question. But uh, Ecuador, you can send them to public school. And being a resident, you can send them to a public school or a private school. It depends on your budget. On um, where you want to send them. Because um, we are talking a difference of, of the monthly payment that you have to, to make between probably in a public school, uh, I mean, in materials, you have to spend probably between 20 to $30 a month. Uh, and if you go to a private school, uh, from the, the story of my friends, I think they pay $800 a month per kid. So they have two kids. Still very affordable, like yeah, and, <laughs> and the education, as I said, the education they receive is just amazing. I, I'm very impressed with 
one of specific kids, the 12 years old boy, very, very smart. He knows stuff. He, he, he is just like, oh, we were, we were in, and we went on a, on a, on a trip the other day and he, he was explaining about the volcanoes and how the moon, blah, 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 a lot of stuff. And I was so impressed. I was learning from the kid. Uh, it, it is good. I mean, if you find the right place where to send your kids, they they will have they will receive a good education. Okay, that's good. And I mean, yeah. Just a side note for anybody who's not yet been an expat and looking at education. I mean, when I lived in the UAE and we started looking at um, international schools, the price point would be around forty to fifty thousand dollars a year for like grade one, grade two, and would go up to like $60,000, $60,000 plus for just a normal international school in the UAE. So it's like if you had, you know, two, three kids, I mean, you're going to be spending well over 100 k a year in education. Like, it's insane. I mean, yeah, we would be, yeah, they were looking at, yeah, probably twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 for primary school and upwards of that for secondary school. So 800 bucks for a private school, mm, yeah, that's just fine. Um, any insight yeah. on the, I mean, okay, so we're talking about the quality of the education, but what's the community like for the kids? Is Ecuador, like, do you think the Ecuador kids are happy? I mean, I look at a lot of the, the family structures and, and the children that are living in North America, and we're seeing more and more problems, more addiction to screens, more addiction to drugs, more mental disorders, more suicides. Like, there's just so many negative things that are happening because of this system that they're in. Do you think that in Ecuador, maybe like these family values help a little bit? Do you think that the school system is a little bit better? Is it worse? I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not taking sides here. I'm just curious. Yeah. yeah. I, I, from personal experience, I don't have an answer. For okay. That. But the only, the only thing that I can say is that what I have is spoken to my friends and, and uh, most of my friends, they have kids in school. I don't have kids, but uh, because I basically work all the time, but uh, that's not an excuse. Anyways, <laughs> so <laughs> it's okay. I'm not putting you on the spot here. I'm just curious, <laughs> just right. insights. Fam family is an important thing to me, and obviously, education. I know my listeners um, understand about my educational background, and I'm always interested in diff how different countries handle it and what the results are. So obviously, you know, like, I don't mean to put you on the spot about that one. And we're, we're going to get into the residencies, the passports, and a lot of the laws and the legal stuff. But um, yeah, anything that maybe you can say from what you've seen, even just on the streets, do the kids seem happy? Do they seem messed up? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, they're very playful. They, okay. they are, they, yeah. It is very common and very common here in Ecuador. Um, coming from Venezuela, this was uh, at the beginning. I, I didn't know uh, this this uh, cultural thing that the Ecuador the Ecuadorians have. Kids, they hug to walk, and you see kids from the school hugging or or arm, uh, uh, they go arm to arm walking on the street, like two, three kids. And you see that. And 
that that was one of the things that when I arrived here, I never saw that in Venezuela because they do that. And no matter what happened, uh, year after year, they keep repeating that. So you see kids on the street, they're, they're just like hugging and they, they, that's what they do. That's how they walk. So here, I, I, I can share that that for, for, for you, uh, if some of your uh, audience come here to Ecuador, they will see that. They 100% sure that they will see that. Uh, it, is, it is something beautiful to see. Cool. Um, so the language, obviously it's a Spanish-speaking country. Now, as a reputation in Latin America, are Ecuadorians known to have a very strong accent or more of a natural, neutral accent. What, what have you seen as an expat coming in and as a native Spanish speaker? Okay, all right. Well, if you go to, to the highlands, if you go to highlands, uh, central highland, uh, which I call it Quito, uh, to north to Colombia, that's the, the central north. Uh, they, they speak more, they announce, they, they speak properly and, and no loud and they, they have a pause between one word to another word. So it makes it a little bit slow, they're speaking. So Quito is one of the places well known to learn Spanish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a lot of Spanish schools there and, and that's one of the reasons. And, but if you go to the coast, that's a complete opposite story because <laughs> I'm living here and sometimes I don't understand. <laughs> really? It's just like if I go to the movies yeah. and I want to buy popcorn and I'm with my girlfriend and I'm like, what are you saying? Like, popcorn. Oh, yeah. Okay. Got it. So they have, they have a weight on, on speak. They're super fast. And I have my staff in, 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 in Manta and they speak. And we have this, this, this uh, Spanglish speaking in the office. Like we mix Spanish and English, but it is good because, I mean, it works for me. But if you go outside and sometimes I, I, I don't understand, bro. I don't understand. <laughs> You're Sometimes a native Spanish speaker. <laughs> I, can, I can't declare myself guilty, uh, but uh, yeah. So sometimes it's just like if you go to the coast, it's a little bit hard. So Quito, yes. Rest of country, maybe no. <laughs> yeah, if you want to learn Spanish, uh, the best is is in Quito. But but I have a very good friend from California. Uh, he has been living here for 12 years, but he fell in love with the coast and he has this uh, coastal accent, coastal gringo accent. So uh, whenever I introduce him to to my friends, uh, my my Ecuadorian friends here, uh, they never expect that he's going to say something like it's very very ecuadorian and they're surprised about you how do you know those words it's just like he he but he likes that and i see other people like they really like to to have that extra 
extra challenge uh, because they know that on the coast is, is hard to, to learn. But if you learn on the coast, you will, you know how to speak Spanish. Yeah, for sure. Anywhere. <laughs> it's like, uh, throw you in the deep end. No, no waiting yes. in here. Cool. Yeah, okay. So, so say that, um, Let's take another example. We've got the family of four, or maybe we have a retired couple. Let, let's do two examples. We've got a retired couple, and they want to come down to Ecuador as retirees. Or we have a, a family of four, you know, kind of our age, maybe 30-something, and they want to bring their kids down, and they want to relocate to Ecuador, and, you know, they do online business or something like that. Talk us through different visa process, maybe what something might look like with that. Okay, all right, yeah. Uh, if it's a family of four, the first thing that we do, it is we, we have to make an assessment. We have to, uh, to see where their situation is. Uh, we have to explain, then I like to start explaining about the, the and this is very important for, for people to know, like uh, you have to be committed because in Ecuador we have a regulation that uh, all the temporary residency visas, you cannot be outside of Ecuador more than 90 days. So if you are ready to do that, fine. The only visa that doesn't allow you to, uh, I mean, having that restriction, it is the investor visa that you can travel as much as you need. But for that, you need to apply uh, with a minimum investment of $40,000 per person if you want to enjoy that benefit. So let's say a family of four, they're coming here. So first question is, okay, let's see what, what different options because we have the pensioner visa, the minimum, in, the minimum income, it is $400. So if you have an income for $400 from coming from, from the government, yeah, then you, you qualify for that. Then we have in Ecuador, and this is new new in the, in the legislation of Ecuador, is the rentier visa. It is like if you are receiving a rent, a, whether it's for an investment and it's more than $400 a month, then you qualify for that visa. Then we have the professional visa. The professional visa is for those individuals who they want to, they have a college diploma and they want to live in Ecuador. The policy behind this, and I always explain this to our clients, is that Ecuador wants to make friendly to people with education to live here in Ecuador because even though that you are not planning to work here at some point, in your living, day-to-day -day living, you are going to transfer that knowledge. Even if you, if the knowledge is to wash your hands before going to eat, it's just like that transfer of knowledge that education from other countries gives to the local community here in Ecuador. So we have the professional visa, and then we have the investor visa. The investor, as I said, is the minimum investment for 2020 of 100 minimum wages, which minimum wage in Ecuador is $400. That's what I'm, I keep repeating that, that amount. Uh, so we have the investor in real estate, investor in a certificate of deposit in an Ecuadorian bank. And we have the um, investor in, uh, in a company, in shares of a company. Uh, those are the most common. So when I'm, I'm, of course, we have the athlete, we have the religious, we have the missionary, missionary, and we have the uh, uh, diplomatic. Uh, so there's a ton of different visas in Ecuador. Yes. Okay. So let's 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 go back to the example. We've got uh, Tom and Sally 
Tom's 37 and Sally's 33. They have two kids. The kids are, you know, less than 10 years old. They're, they're school-age kids. They own an online business, and the online business makes, I don't know, what, $5,000 a month, U.S. dollars. Their clients are in the U.S., but they don't like what's happening, and they want to move down to Ecuador. You know, what would be some of the recommendations for, say, a pretty normal couple like this? Okay, first, uh, of course, the education will be the first. Yeah. Uh, to to organize that and having so Tom having, and Sally are college graduates, college graduates, yeah. online business. They don't have a million dollars in the bank by any means, but they have an online business yeah, that just sure. generate real income. We have those clients, and uh, yeah, they what they normally do is they they, they find out the the I mean the education for the kids, as I said, um, then we will basically apply for their. For professional visas. Professional visas. So for them, this very, very specific case, we have two options. We have the option for the professional visa or the option to justify that they have an income from more than $400 a month. So it is more straightforward to apply for the professional visa because the, the diploma, you bring your diploma and you get a register before the Ecuadorian government. Um, Boom. You, you are registered. You can have your level location. So even if you want to apply for a job, you already have registered your diploma. Uh, but they don't need it because they have their online business. So if we want to go for the, their business, like they're receiving a rent from, from their business, we have to justify like with bank statements from the, from the business. Uh, we need to have a some kind of contract that says that the, their company are paying them X amount of money every month. So we need to justify with more paperwork instead of the, uh, the professional visa because, I mean, there, is, there are no contests for, for the diploma. Uh, to just bring it up uh, with the apostille. Uh, my recommendation for, for a, a couple or a family like this, it is to get your paperwork in the U.S., uh, if, if you can, because once you are here in Ecuador, you can obtain the paperwork here in Ecuador, but probably will cost you three times of what it will cost in the US. As, as a company, we provide that service because we, we have clients that they came here and they fell in love and they said, mm, you know, I don't want to go back. And can you help me with the fingerprints for the FBI background check? We, we, process the, 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 all the paperwork and we coordinate with them to obtain all the, all the documents to use in their visa process. Um, for the kids, basically we will need some, some proof of their education because that's one of the requirements the school will be asking. So in the case of education, just contact with the, the school where you want to send your kids and uh, confirm with us that how to get that document because all the documents I mean, most of them, they're very, very easy to, to obtain. And it's mostly, I mean, all, all countries, they have their immigration process. But in Ecuador, what we don't want, it is, but we want as government, I'm including myself, I'm not part of the government, but as Ecuador, what we want is to have proof that that person exists. Okay. So that's, that's the whole purpose of the immigration process in Ecuador. No, like if you have money, no, like, uh, I mean, background check. I mean, if, 
Yeah, you can't be convicted of a crime. You need to have an FBI check, which would be included of fingerprints. It'd have to be on the state level, or sorry, on the national level, not on the state or municipal level. I mean, that's a standard. Um, do the documents, are they going to need to be translated into Spanish? Or are original copies just in English sufficient for in Ecuador? Well, they have to be translated in, okay. in, into Spanish um, because, uh, I mean, I, I, I would love that uh, the people in the government, they speak uh, English, but they, they don't, so they need to, to verify the documents. So they have to be certified. Uh, my recommendation on that is just like make the translations here in Ecuador because if you bring the translations from, from your home country, if by any chance, there are any mistakes, you will have to send that document back and get it fixed and send it back. If he, there's a mistake here locally, I mean, the, the problem can be fixed right away, just locally and probably, I mean, I, I mean, less than, I mean, maybe $20 to fix it. Yeah. And do they use like, is it like an official typing center or something that's done for government work and immigration? Or can it literally be translated by anybody? It literally can be translated by, by anybody, but that person can make an affidavit saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm certifying under, under, the, the, under perjury that uh, I have made an accurate translation of this document. Okay, cool. When I lived in the Middle East, everything had to be done through a typing center, which was all government certified, and the, they would charge you like a thousand times the price to translate a document. <laughs> it was such a racket. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, it's just like now anyone can do it. I mean, as I said, Ecuador. Uh, it's just they're they're just looking for if a person exists. And I mean, if you don't have a pending case in in your home country, uh, that's mostly what we're looking here. After that, I mean, I have I have the big opportunity to speak with several of the. The mayors in, in Ecuador uh, were most of the expats, they live and I have to say that I'm very happy because they're always welcome to the to me personally because they see us as the the, uh, the company that helps uh, those foreigners to to bring uh, more money to the economy and one of our conversations is like, okay, they're not just bringing money to pay rent, they're bringing money to pay the taxi driver, money for the, for the, the lady who comes and clean their apartment, or they go to a small shop and they buy uh, some fruits, stuff like that. So it is like more dynamic in the economy um, based on our own research that we uh, conducted, uh, the expat economy, it brings between 700 to uh, 900 million dollars a year. So, and we're just speaking from those expats that they're coming with a, with a social security check. So, I mean, for an economy as Ecuador, I mean, that's, that's good. I mean, every, every penny is, is always welcome here in Ecuador. So that's another reason. So, okay, so what are the costs for a visa like this? So let's say Tom and Sally, gra college graduates, they go in under the professional visa, they bring their kids, um, they've got their online business, they can prove all of this. Um, what are the, 
the fees associated with the visas itself. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. If um, if the principal is applying, I'm, I'm saying the principal, the two of them, the government fee is five hundred dollars. For for the kids, for dependents, is two hundred and fifty. Is fifty percent of the normal government fee. So I might say that uh, normally I don't I don't give verbal estimates because. I mean, you have to put a package together like, okay, you of need course. this translation. Just super I, general. I think everybody knows that. Sally's the principal. <laughs> Sally comes in. She has her husband and the kids as dependent. So government fees, general, general, general. I, I mean, this is the expat money show. So, of course, I have to push you on the money part a little bit. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So if we have a family of four with those characteristics, I might say they will end spending between... $2,500 to $3,000. So reasonable. Oh, my God. That's crazy. That's crazy. And then, okay, so with the visa, um, they cannot leave the country for more than 90 days. Expand on that a little bit for me. What does that mean in real terms? How long does that last for? Uh, break down the, the day count, the actual resident part. Yeah, I'm happy you asked that because... Hey, um, in Ecuador, first you go for the temporary residency visa. And the temporary visa will be issued for two years. After the temporary, you can apply for the permanent or you can renew your temporary for another two years if you don't want to go for the permanent. Why would someone not want a permanent residency? What would be the negative for going for a permanent residency? Yeah. I mean, if you're an investor, if you go for the investor visa, uh, with investor, you don't have any, any limits to travel outside of Ecuador. Okay. So we have clients that they are general manager for multinational companies here. And they need to travel a lot. So they go with the investor visa. So, but they're not going to quit their job because of the travel restrictions. They they will renew it until they see a, a better perspective from for them. Or they just will stay in Ecuador for four years and, and they will leave. But there is always that option. But yeah, most of the people, their ultimate goal is to apply for permanent and then obtaining citizenship. But before going into the permanent, I, I wanted to give you that explanation about we have temporary residency visa for two years and then permanent. Once you have the temporary residency visa, after 21 months, you become eligible to apply for the permanent residency visa. Um, and everything that I explained before, all those categories are under, per, under temporary residency visa. So after 21 months, you have to justify that you have a steady income and the Ecuadorian background check and um, what else? Um, basically, that's it. And then you will apply for the permanent residency visa and you become permanent. And now the difference between permanent, the uh, temporary and permanent. Under the temporary, you cannot leave Ecuador more than 90 days. Each year, the, the, those two years of the temporary visa. Okay, so sorry. So Pause for a second. Pause for a second. So they can go out multiple times 
but the in the entire year it cannot equate to more than 90 days or one trip cannot be more than 90 days it's the first right first yeah. first yeah okay so for the temporary residency visa yes you only can be outside of ecuador up to 90 days and for the permanent you have a different regulation because the rule is you can be you cannot be outside of ecuador more than 180 days each year the first two years and after the second year anniversary of your visa you cannot be outside of ecuador more than five years Okay, so basically what you're saying is on the temporary visa, you get 90 days per year that you can leave the country. Then you go to permanent residency, permanent residency visa, and you get 180 days. So two years, two years. Then after the fifth year of being in Ecuador, or after the fourth year of being in Ecuador, you can leave for f up to five years. So it starts very restrictive and then kind of goes down from there and becomes more and more open. Is that kind of how we can think of it? Yes, yes. And, and for up to the five years, I have received that question in the past. And it is like, you can live up to five years, as, as the word says. It's just like, um, but if you are gone more than five years, then you, it is not like you will lose your visa. You will have to pay a fine. Let's say on the temporary, under the temporary, you left more, more than 90 days. Okay, no problem. You left. So if you want to continue as a resident, as a temporary resident of Ecuador, you have to pay the fine. The, the fine is three minimum wages, $1,200, but you still, it's like your first chance. And the second chance, yes, you lose your pizza. Okay. The same for the permanent. The first a time you will pay in, uh, for minimum wages $1,600 and if you do that second time then you lose it and the same for for the for the uh, for the five years period if you do that if you left more than five years you have the chance to pay the fine so you have to decide which option is the best for you because if you lose it you will have to start all over again so and money-wise, you will have to see what is the best option for you. And we always recommend to speak to our clients to see, because you will have to obtain documents again, like FBI background check, other documents. So it will cost you more money instead of just paying the fine. Yeah, well, I mean, that's incredible that they actually have an option and will be a little bit flexible. Um, actually, I haven't come across many countries who do that. Usually it's like, you lose the visa, you lose the visa. And I mean, you, you're starting back at square one. So that, that's cool to see that they're um, a little bit more understanding. They're trying to encourage people to follow the program. But if you make a mistake or something happens, there are ways around it and you're not back at square one. Okay. So Tom and Sally, they go to Ecuador. They love it. They go through all of this process. Is this a path to citizenship? Is this a path to being Ecuadorian, to becoming... Um, to having the ability to travel on a passport of theirs. I mean, talk us through that aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. We have some clients that they have decided to go as Ecuadorians through the naturalization process. Uh, first, I want to say uh, this that I always explain to our clients uh, seeking to apply for the naturalization for the citizenship, for the Ecuadorian citizenship. 
as resident, you have 95% of the rights as an Ecuadorian. The only thing that you don't have is an Ecuadorian passport. But then you have the right to defend your rights. I mean, that, I mean to go in court, to, to buy property, to sell your property. You don't have any limitations because you are not a national citizen. Um, but of course, there are some people that under very specific circumstances, they decide to go for their citizenship and get in, acquire a, a new a passport. So the process for that in Ecuador it is very, very slow. It takes between 18 months to two years. So, and then you will have to justify if you have your incomes and where's your money coming from. Uh, all those stuff, it's not impossible, but yes, it is, it is more a, a detailed process to obtain the, uh, the citizenship. So is it after the four years or five years or when can you start the application process for going from permanent residency to citizenship? Yeah, uh, what the law says, it is three years of continue living in Ecuador of being resident. It okay. doesn't make the difference the, the dif temporary or, or, or permanent. So only says residents, resident of Ecuador. So from my, and this is what we have used in the past to apply for our clients. Uh, I mean, I have the requirement, I'm a resident three years and I have been constantly living in Ecuador. Uh, that constantly, it is very open. It's not very specific on the law. And that's a problem because that leaves some room for interpretations from the people working at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, which is the office who approves this, which I don't like that. I prefer to have the law saying up to 180 days, you have you cannot leave Ecuador in, within three years. So the, the law is very open. So they're using what the old law of naturalization law said in the past. It is up to 90 days. So once we have a client that they want to apply for their citizenship, we always review in their passport if they have left more than 90 days. If they have left more than 90 days, we say, I mean, I'm so sorry, you have a big chance that you cannot get it. If you, if you want, we can apply, but instead of having someone that had been living here in Ecuador and having left Ecuador more than 90 days, within three years of residency, they have more chances. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that makes sense. So really, it is for people who want to move and live in Ecuador, not people who are looking at, you know, traveling or having a plan B or any of these types of things. But in your experience, if someone moves to Ecuador and they live there for three plus years and they really build their life there and build um, themselves incorporate themselves into the community, do they have a real shot at becoming a Ecuadorian citizen? Because I know some countries it's like you can apply and, you know, you can make an application, but chances of you actually getting it are probably slim to none. Yeah, it is, it is always good to have that conversation clear from, from the client at the beginning, because if that's their goal, we're going to be giving them the 
the advice because they have to fulfill some requirements. They have to pay taxes. They have to get registered under social security and they have to pay for social security in Ecuador. They need to have a steady income because we have clients that they, they, um, they have their investments, they have their savings outside of Ecuador and they don't have their money here. So whenever it comes to the time that, okay, we need to justify steady income, they don't have a steady income, they just have an investment, but the law doesn't recognize and allow the person to have an investment overseas. They want to see money coming every month to you. So the minimum is $400. So if you can organize that, that's that's very simple. And those are the most important, along with the 90 days uh, that we advise. Um, and just the waiting, it is the most challenging because in the past with the old law, we, have a, we had a test. They had uh, questions. They have almost 400 questions. We gave those questions to our clients. So what the law says right now is that you have to know the basic symbols of Ecuador. So if you know that and you know how to speak a little bit of Spanish, so then you will be good. So it's symbols, you mean like the flag and the national bird or like, like, like Ecuadorian yeah, stuff? The- or like, what, what do you mean by that? Those type of things. And basically they will be asking you and who was the president in the 70s, stuff like that. Okay. Uh, and, and mostly it is like if you have, um, oh, what is it? I forgot. It is the, um, I mean, when, when it is in, in Ecuador, we have August 10th. So August 10th. What what we celebrate on that. Uh uh, So holidays and national days and things like this. Interesting, interesting. So, but basically for all intents and purposes, if you go in as a resident, you can own real estate, you can work, you can build a business, you can do most things that you're going to want to do. But if you want to get that travel document, and I'm going to take a guess and say vote in national elections, you're going to actually need to make that um, that jump from the residency to the citizenship, correct? Yes, yes, that's correct. And now that you mentioned the, the elections in Ecuador, it's mandatory to to vote. So once you acquire the citizenship, it's mandatory you have voting. To go. Wow, it is mandatory. And if you don't, you have to pay the fine. Um, let's say you want to sell your car or you want to buy anything for every, every public transaction with that requires your signature they always are going to request your voting card if you don't have it you have to get it because they will not allow you to sign anything if you don't have it that happens to me when i moved from one city to another city and it was like seven hours (laughs) one way straight and, and I just decided, okay, well, I will now go, and I just will locally go. Uh, it was a mess. It was a real mess for probably one year because I'm always signing documents. And I thought, no, I just go and pay the fine and blah, blah, blah. But uh, they have right now this that you have to go and renew it every two or three months. So I had to go over again to the capital of the province 
to get renewed my voting card because I didn't go to vote. So they make it very, very difficult to force you to go and vote on top of paying the fine. I have to go every three months to renew my document. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's a voter card and it kind of acts as like a national ID as well or, or like a photo ID or what? No, because in Ecuador we have uh, the cedula. The cedula yeah. was what you obtain, okay? Yeah. But uh, if you go to public, if you're a foreigner, they will not ask you for your voter card. But if you are a national, they will ask you for that because on, your, on the cedula it says Ecuadorian. And if it says Ecuadorian, I mean, you are obligated to, to vote. And if you don't have it, you cannot sign. So it is that. So uh, I explained that if you're ready for that commitment, yeah, go ahead. Let's apply for your citizenship and get your passport. And what was the three months that you have to reapply? If, is that for everybody or is that just for, I mean, because you were bad and you didn't have your card and that's why you had to keep no, applying? That's, that's well, it because it was I was bad. I, I didn't comply <laughs> with my citizen citizen uh, dues in in Ecuador. So because they give you after one year, they give you a provisional. They give you a provisional border card, and this is valid only for ninety days. In this election, they didn't issue the final document. And we have elections every two years. Uh, I mean, the next year we're going to have presidential and two years after that, we're going to have for, for local authorities. So they didn't came, they didn't come with the, with the uh, border card, the, the final border card after one year. So they had me going to this office and the capital of the province, like one hour and a half away from here, to renew my 90 days provisional voters card. So I had to pay the fine and I had to go four times to renew mine because I'm always signing documents. So that was a terrible idea that I, I regret and I'm always on top of changing my, my address and that's something that you have to do. And that's the learning curve experience that uh, I'm still living here for several years, but I'm still learning on how to be an Ecuadorian. Well, and I guess that is a good way that you can help your clients as well, because I yeah. mean, if you're going to make the mistake, then I'm sure other people make the mistake and you can help protect them so that they don't have to. You know, it's always best to learn yeah. from somebody else's mistakes instead <laughs> of learning from your own. Absolutely. So Absolutely. next, I guess I want to talk about the taxes. What, what are the taxes like in Ecuador, just in general terms? Maybe, you know, capital gains tax, dividends, uh, income tax, you know, any of those types of things so people have a, a good understanding of what they're getting themselves into in Ecuador. Good. That's a good question. Okay, for capital gains, it's straightforward. Capital gains is the difference between the temp. I mean, the 10% of the difference between uh, the sales price and the purchase price. If you purchase something for 100,000 and you sell it, you, you sell it for 150, your revenue, your gain is $50,000. So the 10% out of that is $5,000. So in general terms, your capital gains to be paid is $5,000. But then there's some deductions that you have to 
keep in mind that five five percent depreciation every year. So that five thousand dollars will be without will be reducing five percent if you buy your property in 2010 and you sell it in 2015. You will have a 25 percent discount on those five thousand um, dollars. But that's if you are selling in urban areas. But if you purchase something that is in rural areas, you don't pay capital gains. And that's on just investments inside of Ecuador. But if you're an expat and you own stuff in another country, or you, you, do they tax on worldwide income or do they just do a territorial tax? Yeah, just, just in Ecuador. Uh, okay. Capital gains, most, uh, it is you, well, you pay capital gains when you are selling real estate. So it is just like property here located in Ecuador because that's one of the naval documents to make the transfer of ownership to, I mean, to your buyer. So that covers capital gains. And then if you ask about- Well, let's go with property tax next. While we're talking about real estate, do they have property taxes? Yeah, property taxes. Property taxes by law here in Ecuador, we have a range. We have between $3 per, thousand dollar valuation to five dollars per thousand dollars valuation so if you have a property that costs one hundred thousand dollars you will end paying between three hundred dollars to five hundred dollars a year annual okay and i guess i'm going to guess that that is based on the area the zone um that the property is in or or is it by the age of the property or how does that work? No, uh, every two years, the municipalities in Ecuador, they have by law, they, they're obligated to, to make a, uh, a cadastral of information, a update of their information. That means that they go and they, they will see what is the status of, on the properties and they will say, okay, here for the next year, these properties, they were valued in $45,000. And now here they are going to be valued on $75,000 because they, what they do it is like, what is the price of the land in that area? So this is like a territorial organization that the municipalities, they have to do. And they assign a value of the land. They assign a value of the of the walls, a value for for the uh, if they have a pool, how much that the pool costs. So they they because when you are building in Ecuador, you need to obtain a, a construction permit. On the construction permit, basically you are declaring that what you're going to build. And they have that information. So they will make the assessment based on that. Well, that's the assessment of the value of the home. But what is the difference between the $3 and the $5 per $1,000? Where, where, like, how, why are some $3 and one some not $5? That's my point yeah. about the zoning. Um, usually yeah. it's location. Yeah, usually it's the location. But uh, there are some municipalities that they, they, uh, they charge the minimum because... In cities like Quito, it is so massive the the amount of houses that they don't need to charge 
$5. So we're talking just about $5. It is more for small towns where they need the money to, to pay their salaries. They pay their wages for, for the people working there. So it is more like zoning, that difference between $3 to $5. Okay, so that's super interesting. So what I've seen around the world is usually in the big cities in the capital, that's where it's the highest amount. And then if you're going out into the countryside or you're going out into more rural areas, that's the cheaper. But you're saying it's actually the opposite of that? Well, um, you know, in Ecuador, we make the difference between rural and urban. Okay. So rural, we will be paying less uh, because uh, what I explained, it is only for urban areas. And um, for the rural areas, they have a lower uh, taxation. They have, it is between <clears throat> um, 2.5 to 3.5% per $1,000 by valuation. Oh, okay. So basically just in the cities, it's going to be the three to five, but if it's out in the countryside, if it's more rural, then it will be less. All right. That's, that's good to know. That's good to know. Okay. I want to get back into taxes in general, because I mean, when we look at different countries and we compare countries on their tax systems, break me down or break down for me. I mean, if people are earning money outside of Ecuador, are they having to pay tax on it in Ecuador as residents or are they just paying tax, you know, maybe yeah. in that country's uh, tax system? Okay. Um, first, uh, you have to verify if you have a, if Ecuador has a double taxation agreement with that country, because in general, if you are living in Ecuador, it means that, you are providing the service because I'm assuming the service will be provided from for Ecuador. So then you will have to declare those taxes here and eventually pay those taxes. But if there there is a, a an agreement taxation with that country, then you will have to declare, but then you will have to justify that you already pay for that income here in Ecuador. So then you will not have double taxation on the same income. So that, I mean, that works in, in different countries, uh, but Ecuador is not exception on that. So first you will have to see if you're providing services to, for example, to a company in China. Um, you have to see if China and Ecuador, they have a double taxation agreement. If they have a double taxation agreement. I mean, to avoid double taxation, I mean, uh, you don't have to pay taxes in China in Ecuador. But if they don't have it, then you will have to pay taxes there and pay taxes in Ecuador because you are living here in Ecuador and supposedly you are generating that income because you are living here in Ecuador. Okay, so let, let's go back to our Tom and Sally example. Um, Sally's got the business and they're Americans. Americans, Canadians, Australians, Brits, French, German. Do most of these countries have tax treaties to avoid double taxation with Ecuador? Those are kind of yes. like the common Western Western countries. Yeah, they they do. Because in the past, a, um, one, one of the things that the, the Ecuadorian governments they did in the past, like 70, 40 years ago, it was somehow to attract a investors and we have we have those rules from from the very old days where we have a treats for for a, with other countries to avoid double taxation okay interesting and so then what uh, let's go into the individual and then we can look at the corporate i mean 
individual income tax, más o menos, what are we looking at in Ecuador? Okay. Um, we're speaking if you are making that in, in Ecuador, if you're making less than $15,000, you don't pay. You don't pay. You don't pay taxes, uh, income taxes. And then we have that between $15,000 up to $25,000. For the first $15,000, you pay zero. But whatever is above those $15,000 up to $25,000, you pay 5%. Okay, so the delta between the two, you're going to pay 5%. Yes. And let's say you're making $35,000 because then we have 15, 25, and then we have 25 to $35,000. So let's say you're making $34,000. You're making 34. For the first 25, you pay 5%. For whatever amount of money you are making above $25,000 up to complete $34,000, you pay 10%. Okay. Okay. So that's how basically it works in Ecuador. And then the limit, it is 20, 20, 23%. But those are for individuals, individuals who are making more than, a, I think it's $350,000. Okay. So it's a, the, the top tax bracket is actually not that high, and the income level for it is pretty decent. I mean, I would imagine if you're earning $350,000 a year, U.S. dollars in Ecuador a year, you're probably having a pretty good life there. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you have a, a great life here. Uh, but, you know, they're, they, uh, they're, they're, I'm, I'm no, I don't pretend to, to speak about tax evasion, but... I, if you if you have you have the right advice, you can always invest in another business, and those investments they are tax deductible. And and at the end, if you have the right advice, you at the end will be paying less taxes because you are investing here, you're investing over there, so you can use all that on your behalf. Uh, it is complete legal, and the tools are right there on the law, and you just need to find them and use them on your behalf. Yeah, absolutely. So legal know. tax mitigation is super important, and we never promote anything that goes against the legal avenues. But, I mean, it's good to understand the basics for anybody that's listening here, what their expectations would be if they were to, you know, listen to this episode and reach out to you, you know, and decide that, Ecuador would be a place that they want to move. I want to give people a, a very good general picture of what they can expect. Yes, I, I agree with that. And that's why I'm, I'm very happy to, to share some of the knowledge that uh, I, I'm learning every, every day. But I have to say that uh, Ecuador, um, um, we, need to, we need to improve this in Ecuador. We have the, the exit tax. Exit tax, it is something that it kills the economy. It, it kills the having people trying to come and invest in Ecuador. Because whenever you are bringing money, yeah, you're welcome, blah, blah, blah. You, I mean, we're happy to have you. But let's say you want to leave. What happens? Then you will have to pay 5% tax on the money 
you invest here in Ecuador. So if you come here to Ecuador and you're making a, I don't know, like 20% profit, you have to think, okay, it's not 20%, it's 15%. Or if you're coming here to Ecuador and invest on a certificate of deposit, there's some places that they pay you a, up to 9.5%. Wow. Jeez. You have to think that at the end of the investment, if you want to take the money outside of Ecuador, you will have to pay 5% tax. And no, okay, so okay, so I'm going to pause you for a couple of things. So, so you're yes. saying that you can get a CD in Ecuador at a 9.5%. Now, the 5% tax is on the entire amount or is just on those the gains from the interest? On the capital. On the, on the capital. <laughs> yes, I know, I know. <laughs> it, it's just like, that's what I, I say. It, it kills like any, I don't know. It's just like we have clients that they come here and invest because they have a, a, a long-term plan to, to stay in Ecuador. Um, as a general rule, you pay for the capital if you want to take the money outside of Ecuador or, I mean, it's just like, it is, it is hard. We, we have a, a initiative from, from the Congress that they want to eliminate that. But uh, after that was before COVID and COVID came and the government, they need money and we have elections next year and we will see what is the outcome on that because we have one of the candidates that they are like more open to the market, more open to the world. And if you want to be open, you have to eliminate that tax because if I'm a private investor, I don't want to put my money because if I'm, even if I'm getting 9.5%, at the end of the day, I'm only going to get 4.5. Uh, I can get that in other countries and not having that headache. Uh, so, I mean, it, it is that, and, and it is good for your, for your listeners to, to know about this eventually in the future uh, that will change but mm -hmm. as today this is set okay all right well we'll put that one aside that's uh that's an that's an interesting one for sure um what about uh inheritance tax does ecuador have an inheritance tax yes we do and it is super super low uh because you pay inheritance tax if you are as individual, if you are, a, I mean, gaining assets over $75,000. So let's say we have a case where the dad passed away, the property was valued on, I think it was $200,000. So if we divided 200, a, for it, no, and he was married, so it is not it is not the full amount. It's one hundred and fifty thousand. So you divide that one hundred and fifty thousand between three people, fifty thousand dollars. So you don't pay you don't pay uh, a taxes on that. So if you divide, it is per person seventy five seventy five yeah seventy five thousand dollars per person for inheritance uh, inheritance tax. Okay, interesting. And I guess, I mean, 
just to kind of round out our conversations on tax, and then we'll move on to something else quick before we have to uh, finish up the episode. But uh, corporate tax rates, maybe you can give us a really brief overview of, of how they work. Yeah, it is uh, 23% flat. Uh, a year. Yeah, that's a flat fee. Flat fee. Okay, so that's a lot easier to calculate than you. And that's not just on profits or that's on revenue? Uh, that's on revenue. Okay. But uh, in, in, uh, in the last few years, in the last four years, Ecuador has been very friendly uh, with with the, the foreign investors, so in general, with investment here in Ecuador, where they you are free of paying a tax revenue for 10 years. And there are some other cases where you can, you will not be paying tax revenue for 15 years, depending on the area. If you're investing in, in the, for example, in, in Manabi, where we live, um, so you will not be paying uh, revenue taxes for 15 years. So at the end of the day, at the end of the year, th this is something that will help you to, to grow a, a business, but you have to have the knowledge and, and use that on your behalf. Oh, and work with a professional. I mean, absolutely. Make sure, and, and this is for anyone who's listening today. I mean, work with a professional. Follow the law as it's written. Don't be doing anything dodgy. But I mean, it sounds to me like there are some good options for mitigating a lot of the downside and protecting yourself. And I guess that's kind of my, my last seg, my, my segue to kind of our last piece that I want to discuss about Ecuador is, is safety. So first of all, I guess I want to talk about safety from the financial side and then safety from the personal side. So I guess safety from the financial side is just kind of about the banking, um, the stability of the economy, those types of things. Do you have any insight for us today on, on what Ecuador looks like for that? Yeah, as today, it is very, very, very stable. Um, Ecuador has a history of bank problems back in, in 98-99, where a lot of Ecuadorians, they flee the country. They went to Spain, they went to the U.S., uh, because it was during that transition of uh, going from sucres to dollars because they froze basically the, the economy. Uh, for example, you had uh, 250,000 sucres before the dollarization, which allow you to buy, I don't know, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, going to the supermarket, um, the food for 30 days. And after the dollarization came, those 250,000, they became $10. And $10, you just go and buy two lunches, two lunches, and that's it. So a lot of people, they lost their money because of that. So it is always on the back, what I'm going to explain is always on the back of the mind of the people here in Ecuador about those, those terrible days. So right now, how it is humble, the the economy under the current president it is based on on the on the dollars and we don't have a lot of room to be creative and printing more money so because don't worry the us has got that taken care of for you they're they're the expert at printing money <laughs> okay so at least we don't have that that uh, 
uh, that opportunity to print money, which is good. It is good because, I mean, it, may, it keeps the, 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 the economy under control. Something that was planned by former President Correa, it was to have electronic money. And the electronic money was going to be, um, I mean, not printed, but it was going to be allowed to be used uh, with the smartphones, like probably like China does, but uh, uh, without any backup, any any goal or anything. So we have some some uh, months that we didn't know what was going to happen because, I mean, it's like printing money. Uh, but then the elections came and everything is, is more normal right now. But uh, in terms of the, uh, of the financial sector, Ecuador always ha has that in the back of their mind. So if something they see something very sketchy happening in the financial business, believe me, the country will stop. It's just like people here, they're so... Um, into defend the rights. I mean, you can go and protest. So um, that's good and that's bad because it slows lower the economy. But at the same time, you can see that people they if they go to the streets, they can they can get what whatever they want. They can they can get a something changed, some some laws change. So it is good to have that that resource here in in Ecuador. Um, and the financial system, Ecuador, it has an insurance uh, that goes up to $32,500 uh, per deposit on each financial sector of Ecuador. In Ecuador, we have three financial sectors. We have the public financial sector, we have the private financial sector, and we have the credit unions financial sector. So if you have 30, up to $32,500 and the public, which is Banco Pacifico, and you have Banco Pacifico, just mentioning some local Ecuadorian banks. And if you have in, in uh, another, it is called Cooperativa, like a credit union, how it works in, in the US, and then you will be covered up to $32,500,000 in uh, on each financial sector. So, um, that's that's in terms of insurance. If you have above that, you will be getting paid after uh, employees are paid, after after uh, creditors are paid. You are going to eventually get paid, but no, immediately. Like you have your your CD and you go to to the central agencies of insurance in Ecuador and you get paid right away. And those funds are available. Okay, so that makes sense. So the okay, so the the money is there. It's not like some of the social systems around the world where it's just kind of make believe and you like cross your fingers and wish and hope that, I mean, if something goes wrong, that they're going to be there to protect you. The, the money is really there. These are real systems. They actually work. That's good. Yeah, the, the money is here. The money is is uh, secure in in Ecuador. It's just like we, we take money, and you know something interesting on from the from the last uh, government. It is that they wanted to have access to those funds, and that was one of the things that uh, President Correa he lost uh, his his uh, I mean his term in in Ecuador. It was because he wanted to get access to those funds, 
and people here they didn't allow to didn't allow him to do that because at least they have thirty two thousand five hundred dollars uh, secure their money. I mean, but uh, no, no, no. They didn't allow the former president Korea to to touch those funds. Okay, cool. Um, and then from the personal side, from security, I mean, is Ecuador a safe place to live? I mean, is there a lot of violent crime or anything that people should be aware of from that regard? Yeah, uh, like in any other city, Ecuador, you have to, I mean, paying attention where where you're going. But something that I can say here, it is that if this, this gives any idea on how the security is in Ecuador, you can walk on the street in a very, uh, no very crowded area. You can walk on the street with your cell phone in your hand. And if you go to a crowded places, then you need to put your things not visible to, to others because then they will be pickpocketing you. So that's, that's, that's a problem. And if you go in public transportation, that's another... That's another so be place. mindful of petty crime, pitpocketing, stuff like that. But uh, violent crime, um, shootings, murders, I mean, in that regard, is Ecuador usually considered quite a safe country or is it a quote-unquote dangerous country? What do you think? Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't believe Ecuador. It has uh, organized crime as other countries, but of course there are some violence in, in that regard. But you don't see that, like, you don't, you don't see that. You only see that on the news. It, it is not like you go someplace and it is shut down the street because uh, some, some organized crime, they murder someone. No, you don't see that here in Ecuador at all. I mean, there's some organized crime, but I mean, that in the news. Okay, interesting. And I would add to that, I mean, like I've traveled to more than 100 countries. And what I've basically noticed is, if you're being an idiot, and you're walking around at two o'clock in the morning, and you're drunk, and you're being loud, and I mean, yeah, something might happen to you. That's literally... Uh, most every country in the world, with the exception of maybe Singapore, where I lived, and the UAE, where I lived. Like, you can really, you know, you you really have no fear of any type of violent crime there. But most other countries in the world, in case, uh, including the United States and Canada and the UK, I mean, there's lots of areas in the UK where you just, you would never want to do anything like that. Um, so it, it's, it's good to hear, like, you know, just... And, Normal people living a normal life who are not involved in drugs or anything, you know, organized crime or illegal types of things, they really shouldn't see any type of crime. Okay, keep your wallet in your front pocket, you know, in a crowded area or something like that. Don't, don't be silly like that. But all in all, it's a pretty safe country. It is. It is. Perfect. I'm, I'm happy to say that. Well, I mean, I'm out of questions. I mean... I think that we've we've 
given a masterclass here, or you've given us a masterclass here on Ecuador. So I'm super grateful for your time and for sharing so much information and sharing your knowledge on Ecuador. Um, if my listeners want to find out more about what you do, if maybe Ecuador speaks to them in this episode, you know, they like what they hear, where can we send them? Where can they reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. We actually, we have a very, very friendly system to set up appointments. So basically we have a, a person can schedule their own appointment. So we have a free consultation, 15 minutes free consultation, free of charge. So we can speak further about any of the topics or all of the topics. And you just go to www.equassist.com, E-C-U-A-A-S-S-I-S-T, Dot com and we will be so happy to to listen more about your 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 audience uh, because in general Ecuador it is a positive country where you can find not just beautiful weather you can find something positive here um, I believe on that Perfect. So if they go to Equassist, they're going to find a form there. They can fill out their information, book a 15-minute free call, have a conversation with you or maybe one of your associates, and kind of explore if Ecuador is the right option for them and their family. And Marcos, I would absolutely consider it a favor to me if you please take extra good care of any of my listeners or my followers. I always want to make sure that they get the absolute best service with any of my friends or any of my partners that I work with. So please do me a favor. Take care of my people, okay? I will. I will. I will be so happy to have you, to have your friends, to have your listeners. And Ecuador is, is for, for great things. So Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It has been a great opportunity for, for me to uh, refresh that knowledge because we're at the end. Well, I don't know if it's at the end, but we are on the, we have been through a pandemic and it has been slow for, for several, several sectors here, but I think Ecuador has a lot to offer. Perfect. Well, I think that the worldwide economy is opening up and people are able to become expats and move overseas. And I think that there's a lot of reasons that people will want to do this right now. So Ecuador is a viable option. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time. And I will talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. I have a very big announcement. After a ton of requests for a place for expat and expat hopefuls to network and get to know each other, I decided to start a new Facebook group. It's called the Expat Money Forum, and it's 100% free to join. We literally just started the group, so you can really network and get to know the individuals there. We will be keeping a very close eye on this group, and I already have three awesome moderators volunteer to help me out. So to make it easy on you, I set up a really simple redirect link. All you have to do to join this group right now is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash forum. We already have a bunch of previous guests from my show in the group, so you can ask your questions directly to the professionals or get help from the people who are on the ground in the country you are interested in being an expat in. So I hope that you will join us in our new Facebook group by going to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash forum, and I will see you there. Thank you so much for listening to today's interview. Talk soon.
This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com.